0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Everyone, Welcome to the show. I hope you had a great weekend. So exciting today. We have such a great guest today. But first, a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, you know, I love you. So I have to acknowledge you on every show for all the civil rights work you did and Justin did the late great Justin Dart and to our 17 countries that listen to the show first Ireland I don't know what it is don't know but you are once you are always number 1 you are always the largest listening audience so you know whatever you're doing there Keep telling other people and to the other shows, le- the other countries, listen, you've got to spread the news about this show to everyone because it's so easy to get this podcast from Apple or Spotify. And now, oh, yes, I get to thank my lead sponsor for the past three years. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. I always say, leads the mark for other companies to follow when it comes to employing people with disabilities. So how excited am I to have the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Offer, Larry Kleinman, from Highmark, Highmark Health. Larry, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Joyce.
1: You know, Larry, I think the world of you. And for everyone listening to the show, you know how I've had everyone I've had on, don't get me wrong, they all care about this. They all want to do something from senators to NFL stars to all the people I've had on. But I've got to tell you, this man is the real deal. He is the real deal. Here he is, reports to the CEO of Highmark, and he really has worked nonstop to help vendor consulting services find employment for people with disabilities. And Highmark is a national example of what I'm talking about. So, Larry, so our listeners know a little bit about you. You have a very impressive background from Covenant Health to SAP to Campbell Soup, all in an executive level. So, my question is... Why did you pursue a career in human resources?
2: Well, Joyce, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure I, I made a conscious choice way back when to be, have a career in human resources. I started, by, uh, I started my career in sales, and I had my own company that I sold, started up and sold. And then I spent a number of years as a management consultant doing strategy implementation work. And essentially, that was working with large companies like Ford, Unilever, General Electric, and others around how do you um, sort of work with uh, executives to change the company in a way that allows them to compete and, and do better in the marketplace. And um, this may take a few minutes, so I apologize. Oh, no. Go right ahead. Okay. Well, at the end of my, my last project... Um, the company that I was doing the consulting for asked if I'd be interested in joining them. And it was around the same time we had had our third child and my wife was uh, wanting me to be home more because I was only home on the weekends for about eight years Um, because these consulting jobs made you, you know, you had to travel all the time. And so long story short, I said yes and moved from Pittsburgh to Bergen County in New Jersey. And on the first day, that same president, uh invited me into his office, and he asked me if, he, if I remember the HR head. And I said, yes, John, good to see you. And he said, good, because you work for both of us. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm, that's really not what I signed up for. So I would spend, in my first HR job, I spent half my time doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which was work with the global manufacturing plants and the supply chain to reconfigure that to be more efficient. Um, work with the global sales and marketing teams, figure out how to go to market better. And then the other half of my day, I was doing you know pretty basic HR things that I had no knowledge of at all, things like recruiting and compensation and benefit enrollment and all those kinds of things. And I've been in HR ever since then. And that same division president, who was quite the salesperson, told me that back at that time, um, a lot of our people in HR aspire to do things you already know how to do, uh, so this would be a great thing for your career. Um, so I grudgingly agreed, and um, I've been doing that ever since. Wow. So that's, that's the should... story about how I actually got into HR. and I, The way I view HR is a little bit different than many uh, co- colleagues that I have because I started with knowing how to run my own business, knowing how to change large companies. And if I understand the competitive landscape, if I understand what's going to drive better financial performance, then I can sort of metaphorically look into the four walls of the company and figure out how to organize things so that they're optimally going to perform better. And so the way I view HR is through that lens, not the traditional, I spend all my time in HR doing, you know, the typical specialist type of areas. So it's it's afforded me um, different opportunities, but each of my HR opportunities, whether it's Campbell's or... SAP or, or here at Hyde Mark Health has always been, how do you actually work with the executive team, with leaders uh, in a way to optimize performance? And so it's all it's all started from that diverse background.
1: Wow. And it really is still about optimizing performance, as you said, because if you don't have the right people in place, that isn't going to happen. And I know that uh, David Holmberg, your CEO, told me once, um, I don't want to hire managers. I want to hire leaders like you. And so you probably look for that across the board when you're bringing someone in at the executive level.
2: We, We do. We spend a lot of time and effort on it. We spend a lot of time talking about it. We, uh, particularly for, you know, more high-level type of, of folks, we uh, get third-party assessments of those kinds of people. But what we really find, no matter what level the job is, no matter what type of the job, that t- people typically come in with the right level of capabilities, skills, competence. Um, where we have people who don't come in and be successful, it's typically around emotional intelligence. It's around how they work well with others. You know, or or lack thereof. And that's, that's typically what makes or breaks a lot of uh, talented people to be more successful than others.
1: Right. Which that makes perfect sense. I'm not surprised at all to hear that. So, Larry, HiMark, how long have you been at Highmark Health and what made you decide this is the company you would want to join?
2: <laughs> I've been here for about four and a half years now. And I, I was living in Tennessee, for those who are familiar with the U.S., living in Tennessee, and I would have walked from Tennessee to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to take this job. I was um, I was really fascinated with Highmark Health. I, I knew a little bit about it when I was first contacted. And I evaluated the job on four or five things. Um, location was not one of them. The first and foremost was... Um, I thought the business was at an inflection point. You know, most companies and businesses have life cycles, just like people and and products do. And I thought there was an inflection point. So that that told me that there was a lot of change that was necessary, which was attractive to me. But by far, the number one criteria was the CEO. In, In the role I have, you have to have a great chemistry and relationship with the CEO and He'd been promoted into a much bigger job than he'd ever had, so I, I had to get comfortable with, with David Holmberg, our CEO, who's a phenomenal CEO. Um, the second was the portfolio of companies that Highmark has. Is, they're all related, but they're all very different. For example, we have a hospital system. We, we have a technology company that works in healthcare, but it's still a technology company. We have a dental business, large Blue Cross business, stop-loss business, um, and we had a vision company where that had actually manufacturing as well as distribution centers and retail stores and insurance. So the portfolio of businesses really fit, I thought it fit nicely with my background of all the the diversity of experiences that I had had. I'd already worked in retail and manufacturing, um, consumer products, technology, so I was of the mindset that I could use all of the experience and all of the, the tools that, that sit on my tool belt, so to speak. Um, I thought that was a good fit. And then thirdly, I mark, um, had a very strong financial, uh, portfolio. I, I thought that the, the financials were such that they had the wherewithal to withstand competitive threats. And, um, so those are the criteria that I use to evaluate. Would this be a good opportunity or not, and you know, it was pretty clear to me pretty quickly that uh, this was going to be a great situation, and I've had a blast since the first day I got here. I've never had more fun in my career.
1: Wow, that's great. No surprise to me. No surprise at all. You know, uh, what is the size of Highmark with all the entities you just talked about that are part of Highmark?
2: Yeah, we're about $19 billion in sales, um, in revenue, and we've got about 50,000 employees. Um, there's about 43,000 full-time employees, and then there's about 7,000 uh, what's commonly called contingent workers today, or gig workers, and so uh, it's about 50,000 employees.
1: Wow. Boy, over time, Highmark's got really big. That is amazing. Um, And and just as you said, you know, you have VisionWorks, you have Allegheny uh, Health Network, you have so much, you have diversified so much, uh, you know. And what you said about the CEO, David Holmberg, is just the most fabulous person. But so are you, Larry. And with that, we're going to go to break. Hey, if you just tuned in. We're talking to Larry Kleinman, the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for Highmark Health. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice at Disability Matters VoiceAmerica.com Don't go away. We'll be right back with Larry. (laughs)
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Since
3: 1985... high test line of service for more information please visit www.vendorconsult.com get the
0: news on our shows and other happenings by following us on twitter find us at voice america trn or twitter.com forward slash voice america trn You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we're talking to Larry Kleinman, the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Highmark, health, and Larry was talking about how the company has diversified and gone into so many different areas, which is amazing, but, you know, they've brought in good leaders, and you are an example, Larry. I feel, and many people know, that you are an exemplary leader, including the CEO, in the area of the employment of people with disabilities, Um, and you know what? That seems the way it is across the board at Heimark. As I just said, all the way to the CEO. All of the executives have been behind me and Bender Consulting Services since 1995, which is remarkable. And sadly, of people with disabilities are still not counted in the workforce with double the unemployment rate. And I'll never forget when I, Ted Kennedy Jr. to Highmark, and he said to the CEO, you know, I know Joyce tells you how you're a standout, but I'm telling you, we know about you nationally. And it's good and it's sad. It's sad because there aren't that many. It's great because we have this great company right here in Pittsburgh where from the CEO across the board, I mean, I, I, I could not talk enough about how great Highmark has been when it comes to the employment of people with disabilities. So many people have asked me what I'm about to ask you, uh, Larry, and that is why, like what has made Highmark? such an incredible standout success?
2: Well, I think, Joyce, um, there's a number of things that uh, sort of stand out to me. Number one is you and all the work that you you have done over the years. You are so passionate uh, about this type of of work and employing people with disabilities that uh, that's really probably the most important thing. The other thing is... um, I'll, I'll say it this way. Someone once asked me, what's the best way to lead a parade? And I thought that was the strangest question. It was a woman from New Zealand. And I looked at her and I said, I have no idea. She said, find one near the finish line and jump in front. Yeah. And I, I tell you that story because um, I can't take much credit for what happens here at Highmark. Um, to, the, to the story you told, Joyce, there is a legacy and a culture and history here that matters. That matters. And these things have been taking place for quite a long time. Uh, I think if you talk uh, with David Holmberg, our CEO, or myself or other leaders, um, we were fortunate and blessed to come into a situation where Joyce had been doing work with us for a long period of time. And so we have a responsibility to ensure that we continue to do as much and more so the next generation of leaders can continue to do work that's remarkably important. Um, On a variety of fronts, but certainly with individuals with disabilities.
1: (laughs) Well, for those of you listening throughout the world, business leaders, uh, not-for-profits, and people with disabilities, and the media, I want you to know that's how I started. I went to Highmark in 1995, and I asked the CEO, Bill Lowry, I want to start this company, Bill, would you agree to bring on contract six people with disabilities from a school. So they were entry level. And they had very significant disabilities, by the way. And would you keep them on contract for three years so I have revenue coming in to get started? Now, I've got to tell you, today... If I went into companies and I'd say, hey, would you bring on six people with disabilities and keep them on contract three years? That would be a very hard sell with the stigma that exists still in this country. Hi, Mark. One day. It only takes them one day. And then, just as Larry said, every CEO. From 1995 till present, and all the executive leadership, all of them, have stood behind me. You know, I want to mention one other thing. I started Bender Consulting in 1995. And Highmark, when they, you know, stood behind me, keep in mind, that was only five years after the ADA was signed, and it was only a couple of years after it was implemented. Think about that, which is even more extraordinary. But, you know, it isn't just the CEO. It's the Larrys. It's the Deb Rice. You know, it's the Karen Handlin. It's the Dan Honorato. I'm. It's everyone at the executive level. I mean, don't think it's just one person. And now the CEO of uh, Allegheny Health Network, Cindy Hunderfein, I tell the media all the time about Highmark. And I was so excited when Ted Kennedy Jr. uh, wrote an article and highlighted, he wrote an op-ed and highlighted Highmark in that op-ed in the New York Times. Because if more people see the incredible work Mark has done I hope they in fact will then do the same thing uh, but uh, and thank you Larry from the bottom of my heart thank you for your support since you've been there I really can't thank you enough and I know that just as we talked about you look at leadership what will make someone not only a top performer but someone that has the character that would fit in to high mark, so I wanted to ask you: you yourself, you have this big team of people that report to you. What what do you try to instill in those people?
2: Well, I think th- there's a couple things, Joyce. Uh, first and foremost, and I talk to my my team about this incessantly, is the notion of cohesion. Um, Running a business, running an HR function, we also oversee our consulting group. um, But the leading indicator to better performance is cohesion. We have a whole series of interdependent parts that have to work together. Um, And so we spend an enormous amount of time making sure everyone's clear on what the goals are. Everybody's goals, not just their own, not just their own with mine, uh, so that they're all they all fit together in a cohesive manner. And we actually have process around that. So we actually sit down once a quarter and everybody brings their scorecard with their self-reported performance numbers. And then we sit around and debate whether that's the right number or not. So it's like getting a public performance review, if you will. Um, and then we set goals for the upcoming quarter together and go through them in, in, in painstaking detail so that people know what's coming, what great performance looks like. So, If you ask me about leadership, I think the number one thing is ensuring team cohesion. Uh, The second thing we try to pay attention to, I'll use the word strategic focus, which sounds maybe a little uh, odd, but it's making sure that we're focused on the things that really matter. In any big company, there's all kinds of things that can happen every day. So we try to pay attention to the the three to five things that are really going to have an extraordinary impact. The third is the accountability, which to me is uh, the flip side of cohesion. You know, if everyone's mutually accountable to each other, then that drives a lot of good things to happen. And so we try to find people who can work well with others, have a strategic edge to them, more importantly, take deep and serious accountability for their work. And then the fourth is just have fun. We don't take things that seriously. Um, we are no different than most people. We spend an enormous amount of time here at Highmark, and so uh, we try to make sure we take a lot of time out to have fun and make it enjoyable because, again, you're putting a lot of hours in, um, and people have choice. They can do a lot of different things in their career, and so we also try to pay attention to having fun. So those are the four things that I think, when I think about leadership for us, uh, that are important.
1: You're obviously doing something very right because it is working. You know, your cohesion, it's working. And that's really interesting, because I think that is uh, really key when you think about it. It isn't just teamwork. It's across the board, you know, as you mentioned, all those different uh, groups, all those diverse businesses, Uh, but whatever it is, let me tell you what, you're leading the way when it comes to the employment of people with disabilities, and anyone listening to the show today, I want you to tell everyone you know to get this podcast from Apple or Spotify And tell everyone about it because this company needs to receive accolades for everything they're doing. Okay, well, hey, right now we're going to go to break and then we'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Joyce Bender.
2: voice counts call toll-free 1-866-472-5787
0: 1-866-472-5787 voiceamerica.com since
3: 1985 high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.VendorConsult.com.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. (laughs) Number one talk station. (laughs) VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're listening to Disability Matters. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And you know every show... On the half hour, we have Perry Jude Radisick, the CEO of Pennsylvania Disability Rights Network, as our guest. And Perry, I know you've been hearing us talk to Highmark about their unbelievable commitment to the employment of people with disabilities. And you and I know how important that is. So I'm sure you appreciate what they do. Absolutely. They're they're really they're
0: great for the community and and we really do appreciate them. And so before uh the, and before the break, the election assistance commission is what we were talking about and and uh so they've developed these voluntary voting system guidelines and we were talking about advocacy through the public comment period. And so tomorrow is a deadline related to these voluntary voting system guidelines. And I want to stress how important this is because these voting systems really tell the voting manufacturers and state election directors what to do regarding voting system functions, accessibility, and security. And on our website is all of this information, including how you can make public comment. And I want to tell you that today we submitted our public comment And there are three areas of concern that if uh, if, if your listeners are interested, they can join me in submitting these comments. First, these new uh, guidelines appear to be only concerned with making sure there are marked paper ballots. And what we want to get across is marked paper ballots right now will never, ever be accessible to people all people with disabilities. As you can imagine, how do you make a paper ballot accessible? It never can be, not with the technology we have today. And if that's the future, it's not accessible. Second, this concept of one accessible machine per polling place is a system that segregates people with disabilities from the rest of voters, and it's inherently unequal, and it shouldn't be the standard in voting any longer and we have hotlines on on election day and i can tell you separate isn't equal and we have complaints all of the time about poll workers who have not been prepared to operate activate or describe this segregated voting station so separate is not equal and finally a lot of people with disabilities vote by mail Yet these new guidelines don't address accessible alternatives on voting by mail. So we hope these new guidelines take a look at these non-traditional voting systems. So advocacy matters. And to keep our elections accessible and secure, we have to sometimes take the opportunity to make public like, comment. And tomorrow is the deadline. Go to our website at PA. Dot .org read more about it, about it and take a
1: moment uh, to submit your public comments. And I just want to say one thing about that to our listeners. It doesn't matter to me whether you vote Democrat or Republican. You know what matters to me? That you vote. That is your right as a citizen. In the United States. So, Perry, thank you so much for all of that information. And you heard her go to, go to Pennsylvania Disability Rights.org and then go to Advocacy Matters. Perry, thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Joyce.
1: Well, you know, folks, we do this on every show on the half hour because we want to bring ongoing news. Uh, of what's happening in this country to everyone. So it's sort of like our little news break on every half hour um, and, and also talking about our veterans and veterans with disabilities. I'm so happy to hear uh, all the comments that Perry made. But um, I want to go back to you, Larry. Thank you again for uh, being with us. You We were talking about human resources. I wanted to ask you, what, what do you see in the future and what impact do you believe globalization will have on human resources?
2: Well, it's a good question, Joyce. I think um, you know, we do think a lot about what's coming in the future, and I think there's a couple things. probably won't surprise people in this conversation that um, understanding all avenues of talent including veterans, including people with disabilities, um, is really critical. You know, we're pretty fortunate here. We have, as we've talked about earlier, we have a long history of employing people um, with disabilities. And, you know, just to give you some stats or some facts, Highmark, Inc., which is about three of our companies, has about 4.2% of people who have self-identified as individuals with disability. And Highmark Health, which is our parent company, it's just under 6%. That's over 2,000 people. So we have a, a pretty robust culture um, around these kind of things, and we have resource groups and, and those type of things. But, so I think understanding all avenues of talent, you know, it's, today is really a, an interesting period in time. The unemployment rate is the lowest it's been in 50 years. So you really have to have an open lens about what kind of talent is out there. And then I think the second thing that's really going to impact the future, and we're doing quite a bit of this here at Highmark, not just in human resources, but all all of our businesses, is the impact and implication of digital uh, technologies. And so we have a large enterprise uh, focus on digitization. Um, We're actually quite involved with it and leading the effort because at the end of the day, it's not really about the technology. It's about how do you navigate and architect and then execute changes that affects people's jobs and their roles. And so there's a lot of people who have, uh, I can use the word that, that comes up with disability a lot, there's a stigma about automation that um, people are afraid of it. And what we're trying to do here is similar to what we do with disability. What we do here is try to engage people in automation, in digital t- new techniques and tools. And, um, so I think if you're taking on a future of work anywhere, but particularly in HR, you have to be culture, you have to be comfortable and adaptable to the new technologies that are changing our world. And so it's getting more and more technologically based almost every day. And those are the things that I think have the biggest impact. Um, and that's because of globalization, which was part of your question. Um, you can ask access talent anywhere in the world. These days, um, but you have to have a culture and, a, and an approach that fosters openness and inclusion and those kinds of things to make that work. So those are some things that we're spending a lot of time thinking about into the future.
1: And, and just a couple comments. Number one, what Larry said, you know, with this current labor market and everyone saying, where are we going to find talent? Well, here we are people with disabilities, there is an untapped labor pool. Recently, we hired from the University of Pittsburgh a chemical engineer who could not find a job. Why? Because of his vision. And you know what? We got him a job at Calgon Carbon, and he is soaring. Soaring. And I said to them at Calgon Carbon, see, everyone else missed out. And that's how I feel. You have this untapped labor pool that other companies are not using. That's number one. Number two, I am not at all surprised to hear about that high level of self-identification because... I always say the way you change the work face of America when it comes to disability is hiring people. When, when employees see people hiring people, it makes such a difference in them being willing to self-disclose. Because obviously, you have Larry, you have David Holmberg, you have all these people standing behind this and making it known. So, of course, people would self-disclose. Not, Don't forget also that there are parents of children with disabilities. So, people with disabilities are very loyal to companies that have been hiring them. So, once again, vision works, glasses, insurance. I mean, if I were you and I had a disability, I'd be going to Highmark because Highmark is making a stand for you. Remember that. Highmark is making a stand for you. And how many companies are, and there aren't many. So Larry, um, what message do you have for young people with disabilities listening to the show about skills that you believe would help them gain employment?
2: Well, I think, related to the last question and answer, I think um, anything in the technological field is always going to have robust employment. But I think the more important thing is, uh, we, we sort of think about people who have unique abilities versus disabilities. And, and if you have any kind of unique ability, no matter what it is, and you're passionate and you follow your passion and take full advantage of your unique abilities, there's always going to be a place for employment. I, I really believe that. So I think if, you, if people can objectively access what they're really good at, and if they can combine that with what they're passionate about, there's always a place. There's always a place. But if you want to be specific in skills, um, there's always things right in technology, info, security, Um, uh, customer service, customer support. Those are areas where there's always uh, viable, meaningful roles um, in those kinds of areas. I'm I'm not sure if that's an answer that you consistently hear, Joyce, or not. Um, I'd be curious to get your feedback, actually.
1: Well, I love the first thing you said about uh, if there's something you're passionate about pursuing that because a mistake that some people make is they'll go to people such as young people with disabilities and say, this is what you need to do. Well, if you hate that this is what you need to do, you're not going to be successful. I mean, I agree there are incredible opportunities in, in uh, IT and you know customer service, but there are a lot of other areas that if you excel, if you give 100%, I believe you will go find something. Uh, when you do hire interview people, or Larry, what what is important to you as far as traits?
2: Um, as far as traits, I would say it's things like um, ethical. Uh, uh, you know, David likes to say, "What's really important is what you do when no one's looking." So we want to have good people who have the right ethical mindset and orientation, empathy, openness, people who are inclusive. Those are the kinds of traits that we find here at Highmark to be important to be successful.
1: Yeah, you know what I like there? When you started with ethical, You know, the um, Investment Weekly Daily, Investors Weekly Daily has a list of the traits they feel you need to be the most successful. And they go through number nine from Think Positive, uh, you know, have a plan, and excuse me, I meant Investors Business Daily, which I'm so honored I was interviewed once because I always can uh, compare Investors Business Daily to the Wall Street Journal. But they, in every issue, they have these traits that over the years when they interviewed people that were successful, they found these traits in common like uh, planning, you know, uh, looking at your mistakes and learning from them, things of this nature. So you go through all of them uh, and number, nine, number 10 is integrity. And if you don't have that, numbers one through nine don't matter. So it's the same thing with you. The number one thing you mentioned was not was being ethical. So really, no matter what the other traits are or the education, that doesn't matter if you don't have integrity.
2: Yes, I, I completely agree with you, Joyce.
1: Well, Larry, you know, when I think about you and how successful that you have been, I want to ask you, um, over the years, over time, who has been your role model that has impacted you as they have?
2: Well, you know, I, I, I would say that there's a couple different people at different points, different parts of life or points in life. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, my wife is a role model to me. She's um, she's a remark. She's a very successful banker professionally, but the way she conducts herself in terms of helping the community, um, her faith, those kinds of things is uh, it's it's something that inspires me. So she's a role model from a personal standpoint. I think, um, in terms of professional, I've had a couple different people that. Really, I think would be role models. I think my current boss, David Holmberg, is a great role model. Um, he is. I've worked for a number of CEOs. He is the most humble executive I've ever worked with. And particularly CEOs, um, it's very difficult to keep the balance of hubris and humility. Um, you know, you have access to a lot of things that other people don't have. Uh, whether it's information, events, people, uh, et Uh, and it's, it's, it's a real trap door for a lot of CEOs to, to, uh, get into trouble when they, when they can't manage themselves in a humble way. And so David is a great role model. I would say I've had, uh, you know, my father was a good role model when I was growing up. Taught me what's right, what's wrong. um, and then the last example I will give is, it was about 30 years ago, I was, I was trying to understand what makes people successful. And I went on about a three-month journey where I just incessantly read different books about what makes people successful. And you have, first, you have to define what success is for yourself because it's different to different people. And each time I finished a book, I would create index cards and write on the index cards you know my Cliff Notes version of what I took away from it, and what I can tell you is I've I still carry those Cliff Note cards, those index cards with a rusty metal binder clip from 30 years ago in my briefcase today, and I used to read them every morning. Now I I've gotten to the point where I don't really read them that much anymore. But when I get into a difficult situation or something that is uh, causing me to reflect and think. More than I usually do, I take those cards out and I read them, and they become sort of a guiding, guiding set of, of principles for me as I work through things. So, I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently. But wow, I think that, is, role that
1: is yeah, that is a great story. That is a great story. Yeah, I have. Uh, I'm not surprised yet. I did not know this. I've not met anyone that has done that, and. Wow, what great advice! Remember when I was saying about young people listening to the show? If you don't mind, I'm going to incorporate that in my training, uh, Larry, because I think that is unbelievable. That you—what made you decide to do that?
2: I, I don't know. i really—I can't tell you that there was some uh, real uh, goal of mine. I just was trying to figure out after I sold my company, I was in my I don't know. I was 26 or something. I was p- still pretty young, and I didn't really know what I was going to do next. Um, I wasn't really sure what you know what my my true passion was around, and so I just started reading about su- successful people. Wow! It was really as innocent as that, but then well, I became they- then I became just you know really really uh, excited and and intense around it. I, I really wanted to solve the problem for. For, for me, at least. What does it look like? How do you get that? What does it take? Those kinds of things.
1: Wow, Larry, you gave me something I could put in my book. I mean, that is really <laughs> a great story. I'm not kidding. When you did that, was there anyone, as you reflect on that, that really stood out to you when you read about all these people?
2: Um, well, I didn't, it wasn't as much about any one individual. It was, so now I pulled them out because I have my briefcase sitting right next to me. You know, the ingredients of success. Persistence, self-discipline, savings, motivation, education, training. The next card talks about three items that have to be addressed. Number one is lack of clear direction. Number two is debt. And number three is knowledge, training, and background. And I get into what's motivation, how do you, what, what comprises motivation, excitement, enthusiasm, energy, electricity. And then I have some that were with a book called Meatballs. And it was just, I, I gleaned at the, at the lessons that I learned. It wasn't so much individuals. And that book talked about start at the bottom. Discipline, discipline, discipline. All problems are opportunities. You learn more from trouble and crisis than you do from good things. Don't ever sell yourself short um so think, things like that and these are ingredients that uh you know i'll go through and read i have about 30 index cards full of them
1: wow do you tell that story to your staff uh i i don't tell
2: it to many people actually um, i've been i just
1: that is a great story that is so I, you're I, saying I a couple times wasn't like it wasn't like a book about people it was like books About traits for success or like John Maxwell the iraccessible laws of leadership. Is that what you mean? It was like books about leadership and being successful.
2: Yeah, those kinds of things. That's right. That's right.
1: But not about one person specifically.
2: No. No, I, I, I think I'm not sure if it was intentional on my part. I didn't Want the uh, the heroic leader who won a war? I was more interested in just personal stories about what people overcame and and one of the one of the biggest learnings, by the way, was people a lot of people who are very successful, if you're thinking from a business standpoint, are people that had to overcome great odds, people who didn't start with uh, with um, being affluent or having access to other things. Um, some of the people who have accomplished some of the biggest things are people that had either disabilities or disadvantages. That was one of the biggest learnings that I took away from it. Because they overcompensated to overcome things.
1: Well, that is so true because uh, it just gives you a whole different perspective than, and I'm not meaning you can't be successful if you start uh, with wealth, but it is different for people that start at the bottom or have to overcome something and just do this uh, on their own. It really is. But I'm really glad you shared that with our listeners because I just think that is a great story, great advice for people. Um, I, I just think that's awesome. And by the way, I never knew he did this Um and I certainly did not think you'd be carrying it around with you, which is even more amazing that you had them right there at your disposal to pull out and read to us.
2: <laughs> I was just uh, lucky. that I happened to be in my office uh, with the briefcase right next to me.
1: Okay, everyone, listening to the show, do you see what I meant when I said, when you need glasses, go to VisionWorks. If you're... Talking about planning on getting insurance, it's Highmark. If you're going to a medical facility, it's the Allegheny Health Network, which, by the way, for those of you like me living with epilepsy, my doctor, Jim Valeriano, who has been at Allegheny Health forever, is like one of the best doctors in the country Um, I mean they have premier doctors in all areas but why I say that to you is once again who cares about you who cares about changing your life and right now we got to repay the people that do Larry it has been such a pleasure having you on the show you gave me good data and information to write about you you
2: well, thank you, Joyce. It was enjoyable to be on. I'm happy to help in any
1: way we can. Yes, well, you do all the time. Um, and you've got to tell that story. Although, I'm going to put that story in my book. You'll be reading that story. But you, you have to tell that story to everyone. I think that is such a great story. And hi, Mark. Thank you for everything you do. Well, you know we end every show with a quote, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So the quote is, anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. Said Fred Rogers. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week.
0: Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.
3: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.